0: Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world.
1: Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. I'm your host, Josh Hadley. Today, I'm speaking with Roland Frazier, a serial entrepreneur, and we will be talking about business acquisitions, strategic relationships, and marketing has different levers that you can pull to help take your business to the next level. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. If you've hit a plateau and you want to know the next steps to take your business to the next level, then go to EcomBreakthrough.com, that's Ecom with two Ms, to learn more. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Roland Frazier, Roland is a co-founder and principal of six different Inc Magazine fastest growing companies uh, specializing in e-commerce, e-learning, SaaS, and real estate. He's a serial entrepreneur who has built, advised, or sold over a thousand businesses with adjusted sales ranging from $3 million to $4.3 billion. His specialty is acquiring or partnering with entrepreneurs to scale businesses through acquisitions, strategic relationships, and marketing. Welcome to the show, Roland. Hey, thanks, Josh. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, exciting to have you on. I've been following you for quite a long time. Uh, obviously, I've been a member of your War Room Mastermind group, which I know is coming to an end, and it's another chapter that you guys will be uh, going into for uh, the Scalable Company. But why don't you... You've got a lot of different uh, you know, industries that you're in. Why don't you give our audience just a quick rundown of the you know, the different things you have going on and holding companies there.
0: Yeah. So, so right now we have 38 different holding companies across several different verticals. And so basically a holding company, when we go into a new area, then I'll set up a new company. Um, And I'm a big fan of uh, structuring things correctly. So I use lots of companies. So it sounds like a whole lot. Um, it's not as hard to manage and keep track of as, as as it sounds. So I like to just talk about the verticals instead of all the companies under them. But um, yeah, um, I mean, the the areas right now, we're in the middle of a roll up of real estate brokerages. Um, we're rolling up $100 million of profits or EBITDA in that to take public. Um, we've got, um, we're in the middle of an exit on a restaurant company. I've got uh, just acquired an interest in um 12 franchises through a franchise consulting company. I kind of like these meta deals right now where you acquire an interest in a company that has lots of companies. Um, I just acquired an interest in a certification company that owns 14 different certification companies underneath it. Um, The uh, real estate investing is still doing really well. Um, Our, our companies that teach people digital marketer.com on how to digital digitally market. Um, scalable, it does business operations and, and operating systems. And um, our Epic Network is probably the thing I'm most excited about personally, because it's really helping people see how to do consulting for equity, how to acquire with little or no money out of pocket um, and uh, and exit. And then after that, to be an entrepreneurial investor, because like with real estate right now, as we record this, real estate's crazy high, overvalued, The stock market crazy high, overvalued. Crypto is working on a revaluation, but it's uh, it's still you know it's pretty volatile. So um, what I like is I like the ability to invest in businesses that are not on the stock market that you can own and control because you can acquire them at such great values compared to the ridiculous markups and all those other things, and then you kind of are able to control your own destiny as opposed to hoping the market isn't insane or Dealing with somebody else that may or may not be doing crazy things with the companies that they own. These are companies you actually own. So, like, that's what I'm excited about. And we're in, I'm in SaaS and e commerce and, um, and information and consulting and kind of all over the board. I sound like I have no idea what I want to do or focus on, but it's just that as opportunities come to get into new niches, and I'm not the person doing that, I'm not the operator. I am the, you know, kind of the overarching strategist. It it's really possible to to do almost anything.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And and I love that you have your hands in so many different industries. And I think you've kind of found your niche there. And like you said, you're still waiting to figure out what you want to be when you grow up, right? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May May
0: I never find out? Because then I'm afraid I'll be bored with it, right?
1: <laughs> I, I agree, I agree. Uh, so Roland, I know you started your career as an attorney. So give people some context as to, How did you get to this point where you're doing so many different business deals, but yet you started in the world of, you know, as an attorney?
0: Yeah. So I started as a real estate agent when I was 18. I got my license. uh, I got my insurance license when I was 19. Securities when I was 20 helped do a whole bunch of um, building of developments and land and um, acquiring land and retitling, you know, getting the entitlements to it, spinning it off, um, building houses, building apartments, things like that. Got my uh, degree in accounting, but didn't want to be an accountant, got my degree in law, you know, practice law for about 13 years. Um, but what has been a unifying thing for me throughout the whole of my, you know, my life really has been, I really like business. I just have liked it ever since I was very, very young. Uh, my father's to this day is still a tax attorney. And so I was exposed to all these really cool entrepreneurs. And, um, and I remember I'm coming into the office and you know my dad's in a suit and all the other attorneys are in a suit and these guys are in their jeans and you know a cowboy hat or you know just like you know and i grew up in virginia so um it was uh it, it was you know a, a bit countryfied but um i was just like that's really cool those guys don't have to like they don't seem like they have to impress anybody they do what they want they wear what they want they don't really have offices that they work out of so much most of them they were just kind of investor entrepreneurs and they did everything from owning uh Uh, a bunch of racehorses to gold mining to um, algorithms with software and, um, you know, or uh, a chain of record stores. Right. And so I got exposed to all these people and I was like, I think I want to do like I want to be like that. I don't know what I want to do, but I want to be like that. And um, and I asked my dad, I was like, you know, what um, what what do you think I should do? And, you know, because I have no idea. And he said, well, what I can tell you is that. If you learn how to read financial statements and you learn about the law and how taxes work, you'll be able to use those no matter what you want to do. So if you want to kind of hedge your bets, go learn about those things. But all during the time I was doing all that stuff, I was like, I, I, you know, very, very early on got an opportunity to invest with one of the um, one of the guys that was doing these syndications, these uh, real estate developments. And we bought a small piece of land and built four houses on it. And, um, I doubled my money in about nine months and I was like, this is just crazy. This is so cool. And then I found uh, Bob Allen's book, nothing down in the back of my dad's car. And I read that and I was like, holy crap, you can buy real estate with no money down, you know? Okay. I'm going to go try it. And I, so here I am, this idiot kid that didn't know anything about anything, but I didn't know you couldn't do it either. Cause Bob said you can do it. And, uh, you know, and I acquired a real estate with no money down. I remember the very first time you get this goofy smile on your face. You're like, how did that happen? You know? (laughs) And then uh, when I did my securities license, uh, I got, I I had it held through a company out of New York. And I met some people uh, that were investment bankers at Prudential Securities. One of those guys took me under his wing and kind of showed me how leverage buyouts work. And I was like, so basically, you can also buy companies with no money out of pocket. Say, oh, yeah, this is a buyout thing. You just get that and they just need to have this, this and this. And I was like, well, that's really cool. And I wonder if you could also apply some of this real estate, no money out of pocket stuff to, to that. And, and turns out you could. And so I just kind of fell into it starting from real estate with from that very first um, small, you know, four unit thing that we developed and sold to continuing to read every autobiography I could learning everything I could about all the different, you know, ways that people could do business and negotiate and, um, and finance things. And, um, and then I'd say it was a big turning point meeting the guy from Prudential because I I really got that you could do this with companies at that point. And, uh, and, and just since then, it's just been kind of, you know, can you do this? What if I could do that? You know, and, and usually it works.
1: That's amazing. One deal after another, you just, you keep moving forward. And I think what's so interesting about your, your story and your background, is it sound like you always kind of had a, a thirst for knowledge, right? Absolutely. And yep. you, Ravenous. you kind of had this idea like, Hey, I like business. I'm going to kind of, I got, I need to figure out my way in life, so to speak, but you tested different things out, right. Kind of dipped your mm-hmm. toe in a, a couple different waters but you never kind of gave up on this passion that you had and like you mentioned when you were young that you just loved business. And likewise, I was the same way myself growing up. I I was a kid with a candy stand on the corner of the street and my yeah. parents weren't entrepreneurs, but there was just something inside me. It's like, I'm going to go outside and I'm just going to stand there and I'm going to, I'm going to try to get people to come, come over, buy some candy, buy some soda. And I did enjoy. it work? It was great. And you know, yeah. I, I kept doing it so much that my dad actually built a little candy stand for oh, myself. Nice. That's uh, cool. I think the only thing he regretted is that he, he didn't purchase light wood. So the thing was just a beast. It was so heavy <laughs> that I remember every time I'd have to ask him like, dad, can you go pull out the candy stand? He was like, Oh, okay. I'll go get it. You know, I mean, he would go do it. That's great. Think, he's like, I wish this was probably a little lighter and he could go <laughs> pull it out himself. Now I have my son, uh, so I have a seven-year-old son, his name's Hudson, and uh, he had the same idea. So we went to, uh, he plays baseball and so does his sister plays Uh T-ball. And so he saw that at one of the ballparks, they had a concession stand. Well, where they play T-ball, there's no concession stand. There's just four little ball fields, right? So he's like, hey, I want to go sell candy here. I was like, I'm all in, you know, and so. Did he know about your prior thing? Not really. I mean, I think I had told him like I had, I, you know, sold stuff in the past. So that's he's been cool. hounding me forever. Anyways, we went out this last Saturday. I mean, it was fun for me just going to Sam's Club, picking yeah. out stuff. I, I think I was the more and just as excited as he was. You knew not
0: to put together a very heavy candy stand also.
1: <laughs> it, that's exactly. Although, so it's a wagon this time. So it's a okay. little more mobile and he's able Portal. to move it. But yep. I have to be the one that that packs it up, obviously, and puts yep. it in the car. But, anyways, he made forty bucks. His nice in one hour, so he was stoked about that. And uh
0: anyways, you have to, to do that in internet math. So let's see if if he made forty bucks in an hour. This is how we do it online: forty bucks in an hour, two thousand eighty hours workable in a year. He made it. He's tracking towards eighty three thousand two hundred. Hey, that's not a bad start for a seven year old. I like yeah, that. At all. I like Not that. Bad at
1: all. So, yeah, it, but he's always, you know, it's funny, you know, even for my son, he asked me the other day while I was looking at Amazon, he's like, Dad, can we look at business books on Amazon? You know, cause I've shown him your book, Zero Down, which I want to talk about, but he, he loves, he just has a thirst for, for learning in the nice. business world. So, I think for any entrepreneur, right? I think my advice sounds like your advice is like, you just got to keep learning. Uh, there's so much to learn in life and never get, never become the, you know, feel like you're at the top of your career. Cause there's always something else to learn or do or see.
0: Yeah. I read somewhere that uh, it's only about like 10% of the people that ever read a book after they graduate from, from high school. Are you serious? 10%, That's huh? Crazy. I was like, man, I was like, there's so many great things in books and books are still to me, the best consolidated source of smart people's thinking. Like more yeah. than videos, more than, you know, podcasts, as as much as I like all of those other things for what they bring. Um, but like when you want to master a, a topic, on. I mean, somebody that's taken the time to edit and, you know, all of their life and all of their learnings down into these couple hundred pages, that is gold. And so there's so much of it to, to consume and find and discover and be exposed to. I, I agree with you 100%.
1: That's very true. So I'm going to ask you what your favorite book is at the, end of this, at the end of this episode. All right. So keep that in the back of your mind. But I want to transition to your own book. It's behind you right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Zero Down, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have that Epic Challenge workbook as well. You talked about you know Epic as being one of the, the companies you're really excited about right now. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Zero Down. I know that kind of plays in line with Epic. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah. So all of it comes from uh, from really trying to share a lot of what I learned. And it's always nice when you can when you can give back and do something good in the world. And also there's some good in it for you, too. And so, like, for me, it was it really I I didn't really start this in earnest until I got until the pandemic. Um, And I was kind of like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I'm I'm at home. okay, you know, it's great. Uh, But how do I do business? And so with Zoom and everything, it was it was a friend of mine kind of had had shared with us how you do these challenge things. And so I started. I was like, okay, I'll I'll do this. I'll just do a challenge. And so we put it together in a week. And uh, now we've done I think twenty five or twenty six of them uh, on that topic. And the topic was how can you acquire businesses? But because most people don't have access to banks, a crazy pile of money, and a bunch of credit uh, or investors those are kind of the traditional ways that people acquire businesses. I was like, well, what if we put a spin on it and showed them all the cool ways that, you know, that have come up in my life of how you don't need to do those to have those things. And, um, and when I started making the list, I think my first list was like 59. And then, uh, you know, after really brainstorming and then kind of a lot of creative deals that have come over the last couple of years, um, I'm at 221 different ways to acquire businesses with little or no money out of pocket. You still can do it the traditional way, but this has become kind of a fun challenge to me is like, well, how do I how do I do it without having to come out of pocket? Yeah. And um, and so the the book actually came out of the challenge because writing a book, I've written a couple of books. You know, writing a book is hard and takes a long time, but what's not as hard is that you teach something. And then you send the transcripts off to somebody who's an editor and say, turn this into a book. And that's really what that, that came from. And so that book I'm very proud of because I didn't spend a whole lot of time on the book. I spent a lifetime learning the stuff, but then I just got to share with people and then somebody else organized it all into this, you know, this format. And now I've got a book that kind of goes through that. And uh, and we have a new version coming out because uh, over the last 25 or six challenges, you um, I've learned a lot from the people that I've been teaching that can help them more as well. Like things that, that might make sense to you. One way you have to to be able to explain lots of different ways to lots of different kinds of people with different levels of education and experience and understanding and, um, and fear. And so being able to, to kind of learn from all of that stuff has made me, I think a better, sharer of information and it has helped me create some tools that I didn't have before that now I use all the time in my business so it's it's just been a really giant
1: win win i think that's that's so awesome there's so much, so much to unpack there I maybe mean, we could dive down the whole rabbit hole there but for our audience so e-commerce entrepreneurs here ideally in that seven figure range they've probably just crossed that seven figure mark right and they may or may not have hit a plateau right but they know that they want to make a lasting impact in the world. They know that their business has a lot of potential, but maybe they don't know exactly what the next steps are or they're looking for different levers that they can pull to maybe get to that eight-figure mark or grow and expand. Um, tell me how acquisitions fit with inside of you know being able to scale and grow a business.
0: Yeah, so I think acquisitions are, if you look at what do the wealthiest most successful players on the planet do they acquire companies they generally are not inventing things they are finding people who have done something that they feel could enhance their business and then they're acquiring from those people whatever it is they built and what one of the tools that that kind of came out of teaching this is that i found there's really seven primary categories that can dramatically impact your ability to grow your business through a- acquisitions. The first one is what they call horizontal um, uh, integration, which is just acquiring your competitors. And that one seems like that one makes a lot of sense. But it's not just buying your competitors, because like, if you want to double your e-com business overnight, g- you and you're doing $5 million a year, go buy a $5 million e-commerce business, and you've instantly gone from seven to eight figures, right? Now you're at yep. 10. Yeah. Literally overnight, the day that you close the deal, that's done. And being able to do that with little or no money out of pocket opens that avenue up, I think, to a lot more people. But it's not just acquire your competitors It's well, who are the indirect competitors? Like who are the people that have substitute products or services for mine? And then you you think you can go out and say, well, now what is it that I want to solve for problem wise? And so if you want to If you want instant growth, buy your competitors, right? But if you want, let's say that you're just like, man, if I had more leads, I'd be able to really take off with this. Well, then media is your play. Go acquire media. If you acquire media, particularly as the costs on Facebook and Instagram and a lot of places Google have gone up and are continuing to go up, like customer acquisition costs is a real challenge for a lot of people these days. But if you go out and acquire your own media, And that can be, it doesn't have to be like you go buy a television network. It can be you go and buy a newsletter or a group or um, a podcast or some other thing that people have put together that has attracted and aggregated the attention and eyeballs of the people that you want to sell to, then that's a tremendously valuable acquisition because now you do two things. You're no longer renting. You own the media. You're not renting it from somebody that can decide then. Maybe you're selling something that they don't like, like you're selling, um, you know, supplements or something like that, that they're that the the you know, the fang, uh people don't like. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, or, or maybe your messaging is politically oriented and they don't like that. You know, well, if you own your media, you know, whatever the heck you want to do and nobody yep. can stop you from doing it. Nobody can stop you from buying it. Nobody can outbid you for it because you own it. That's so that true. becomes tremendously valuable
1: right? And, and I think who, in e-commerce, especially, right? I think you have blogs, right? I mean, think of how many people make affiliate income just off of running blogs or review sites or deal sites, right? Those yeah. are those are some easy targets, right? And like you yeah. mentioned, Facebook groups and even Instagram pages and TikTok, you know, is becoming even more of a thing. Anything yeah. else you would add to that?
0: Um, well, uh, obviously, meetup groups, masterminds, um, any, I mean, and there are radio television and, um, print, uh, properties that are available magazines. You'd be amazed. Like, I mean, we were looking at buying, uh, it was a Condé Nast owned property, but, um, but like we've looked at, at major magazines that can be acquired for pennies on the dollar out of bankruptcy or out of just a desire to dump them during acquisitions. Um, there are all kinds of media that are out there. So I would just say like, You're only limited, like media is any asset that comes with people, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So
0: like there is like a form of media is an Amazon listing because an Amazon listing that ranks well in the Amazon engine for search actually carries with it a whole bunch of reviews. That's a bunch of people that have already been aggregated and proven as buyers. And now Amazon just opened up, I think this week to being able to reach out and email your customers, including your past customers. So like, you know, Hey, Newsflash, if you acquire that Amazon account or that Amazon product, that's got those people that's attached to it, you just got an email list. That's very true. Yeah. I I didn't think about that. That's true. Yeah. So like that, all that stuff to me is, is, uh, is really interesting that, that um, all of these things have like uh, the SEO blogs, you know, blogs and URLs that rank videos that rank and you can acquire the specific asset, the specific page. You can acquire the whole site, the whole channel. You can acquire the whole account Um, and you get all of these benefits each time you go up a level. So like media is almost infinite that's out there and you're only limited by your own creativity and identifying what is it. And, and like really diving in and, and like that's just a channel and that channel has, you know, so many or, or that's one of, of the categories, I guess I should say media is a category, but there are literally hundreds of types of it. And then under that wow. millions of potential acquisitions for, for anybody and media sells typically for not much unless it's like if it's a syndicated TV show with hundreds of millions of viewers, OK, sure. that's going to sell for a lot. But so much media is created through micro influencers and things like that, where it's just a a labor of love that turned out to be something that's probably now a pain in the butt because like after they've run it for three or four years, like, i got to keep doing stuff for this. It's a lot of work, not getting paid for it. You come in with an offer for any little tiny bit of money. They're pretty excited about that.
1: That's that's awesome. I mean, so many golden nuggets out of there and we could continue diving down. That rabbit hole, and that's only one of the two verticals that you kind of talked about, right? Yeah, you said you have kind of seven different categories, right?
0: Yeah, so so if I go around the list, the next one would be how how can I get teams and infrastructure? A lot of people are are, will say, well, I need a I need a media buyer, and I don't know where to find one, or I need a inventory management, or I've got to have a uh, you know a three PL team to do this stuff, and I have no idea how to do that. I've never done that before. Well, those teams all exist as do all of the other resources that you might need. And there's a good chance that you can acquire them. As a matter of fact, from from somebody that's already done it, as a matter of fact, they have a term for the teams. They call it aqua hiring, where you acquire a business or a business division or a business unit and you get the team. And then you have a team instantly. And we've done that with software and R&D and a whole bunch of sales. You know, then another category would be products and services. So if you look at what are the products and services that your people who you're selling to are buying, particularly BDA before, during, and after the time that they're buying from you, go buy those products. You instantly can add a whole lot more sales, increase your average order value, add upsells and downsells just by doing that. You can also go and acquire up and down the supply and distribution chain. You mentioned affiliates. So many people forget that they can actually acquire their affiliates. So they're paying them 30, 40, 50, 60% of the gross sales price and never even think, well, what if I just acquired that mommy blogger? What if I just acquired that newsletter? Or, you know, I mean, and and that's a huge one. Like I've got people that have acquired uh, people that they were paying a million dollars plus a year to, and they were able to acquire them for less than one year payments that they were making to them. Oh, that's amazing crazy yeah. <laughs> right so, so you know so that's a really cool um, you know that's a cool distribution thing because a lot of people are like well you know and, and e-commerce it's easier but there you know a lot of people will say well i don't really have distribution i'm dtc <laughs> well you might be dtc but are you direct to customer because you're selling to them from your website or are you direct customer because you're selling to them through your website but you also have affiliates that you're paying to send people to your website so you can sell direct customer that's all, that's considered an affiliate relationship, right? You're, you've got a lot of options there. Um, And then up to your suppliers, your component uh, or ingredient providers, all of those, your formulators, those are all people who are taking a slice of the profit out of the overall value chain for this thing that you're ultimately selling. So all of the people that are taking their piece of the value chain profit above you or, or beneath you are great places to consider Acquiring. And then um intellectual property would be another one. You know, if you if you watch Shark Tank or Dragon's Den or any of those things, you'll all the time see people saying, you know, the sharks, especially, they're like, why don't we just take that to this company that already does that and get a royalty for doing it? Yep. License you, it out. Yep. Right. You can do that too. You can be a licensor or a licensee. So maybe you don't want to acquire the intellectual property because you can't afford it or it's not for sale, but if you could get a decent license deal, you you are acquiring the right to use that property, which then gives you innovation baked into everything that you can offer new stuff to all the people that already bought from you before. So a lot of people are just dying to buy more from you, but they bought everything you've got. If you want to find something else, you either go out and find products, find services, or go up and down the supply and distribution chain or get IP to do that. And so like all of those things. So that's basically Buy your competitors, buy the media, acquire the teams and resources, get products and services, um, uh, get recurring revenue assets. Uh, So anything that's being sold on a recurring revenue that you could add to yours, um, get your uh, intellectual property. And I think I said supply and distribution. So like it's I mean, oh, my gosh, there's still so across those seven categories, then let's say you could only identify. 10 subcategories you'd be at 70 and we've identified a lot more than that and then yep. let's say that you identified 10 companies under each of those you got 700 potential acquisitions you can go all you know all day long Yeah. Uh, you could right yep. so there's plenty there's never a lack of potential companies to buy and because it's so much easier to acquire a company that's already got value than it is to create value from nothing to me it's just crazy to think about i'm going to start something when so many people already have and are so willing to allow you to acquire it for no money out of your pocket. Yeah. Oh,
1: I I think that's such a big mindset shift. I know it's been, it was a mindset shift even when I went through your challenge the first time and just the mindset shift of like, yeah, look at all the opportunities there are. There's literally numerous opportunities unlimited. It just, what do you want to devote your time into, you know?
0: Exactly. Um,
1: so, for e-commerce specifically, and you've got so much experience working with so many people through these challenges in the Epic program, what have you seen? So, because there are so many opportunities, where would you recommend somebody starts if they have an e-commerce brand? Let's say they're selling on Amazon right now, doing well, mid-seven figures. Uh, they they want to take it to the next level, but do they pursue you know intellectual property or acquiring their supplier? or you know, acquiring a new team, so on and so forth, where would you recommend somebody typically starts? Or does it, a, or does it just change based on so many different variables?
0: Well, it's, it's a really good question. So what I would say is, what do you want to solve for? Because if you want market share, then it's go get your competitors. But if you don't have enough leads, it's acquire media. If you need teams and resources to expand your infrastructure, then it's aqua hire right? Teams teams and resources. If you want to increase your AOV, then it's other products and services because then you can downsell, upsell, bundle, all of those in. If it's, you want recurring revenue, you want to increase LCV, your lifetime customer value, nothing like recurring revenue. I'd go out and say, who's got, you know, what can I do that's a consumable in some way, whether it's consumable content or consumable like toothpaste or consumable like a supplement or, you know, a gas, You know, a gas that goes in a grill or whatever, right? Or minutes for a phone. All of those are consumable examples. And all of those can dramatically increase your lifetime customer value. If you want to increase your profit margin, then I'd say go up and down your supply and distribution chain. And if you want to increase innovation, it's IP. So I think like which of the seven categories is what do you want to solve for first? And then when you identify what you want to solve for, you can be more opportunistic, right? You can say, okay, I want to solve for leads. So I know I want media. Fantastic. Um, Then you can just set a goal and you can say my acquisition criteria, which is the next thing to really focus on, is to say, okay, I know I want media. um, What is the minimum level of media that I'm going to need? Well, I'm going to need something that's got at least 5,000 people for for it to make sense for me. Great. Well, now you know anything that's under five doesn't work. And, and anything above that works. And then you just start putting it out there. And knowing that there's newsletters and blogs and videos and all of the things that we talked about a little bit ago, then you just start saying, okay, on all those categories, do I know anybody right now? And that's the lowest hanging fruit. And then after that, you start querying your network. You tell everybody, you know, hey, you know, my name is Josh and I've got a business doing this. And uh, right now, I'm, you know, because they always will ask, you know, so what do you do? You know, oh, well, I had an e-commerce thing and I sell uh, iPhone covers. And right now I'm looking for iPhone user groups uh, and uh, and any kind of media that's got iPhone users. Um, So if you know of anything or know of anybody, let me know. And you just start telling people and, you know, put it out on your social and all that. And then people will start responding. And um, you just keep pushing that out there. Now, then the next level would be you can go systematically, right? You can systematize and say, okay, I'm going to get a list of whatever it is that I want. And then I'm going to maybe load those up into email, send out a direct mail campaign, maybe do some ringless voicemail and actually start a programmatic, meaning I have a program for it, mergers and acquisitions campaign, right? And that's when things get really interesting.
1: No, I like that. It's almost, you you kind of have to put on your sales hat in a way in terms of looking at, you know, imagine you have a product that you're trying to sell to, let's say bloggers. Right. And so you, you go acquire that list. Right. And just as if you were trying to generate business with them, like put on that same thinking cap. Cause I think so many people, you know, especially myself, my original mindset was like, Oh, I can only go onto websites like Empire Flippers or Business. Those are the worst places to go. (laughs) Those are the only places people are willing to sell their business. And instead, like you're saying, it's like, well, reach out to your network, go acquire a list, just like you would if you were trying to sell to those type of businesses. And 100% reaching out, right?
0: You build a funnel for your e commerce products, build a funnel for acquiring the things that you want to acquire as well.
1: I love that. Such a good mindset shift. All right, Roland, I also want to ask you, um, so we'll kind of let's say we've acquired another e-commerce brand. Okay. If you were to acquire in the hypothetical situation, you've just acquired an e-commerce brand. Let's say you want to increase your profit overnight. And what what are some of the quick actions you would take if you've just acquired a brand, you want to increase profit?
0: What would I mean, be the your first steps? The very first thing that we'll always do is see if we can raise prices because most most business owners have not raised prices in a while. Now you're seeing more of it now. And it may feel like, well, everybody's raising prices. Everything costs more. Well, we're in an inflationary cycle right now. So you may find more people have raised their prices because their costs have gone up. But what I can tell you is that most entrepreneurs are not doing price testing and they don't know if they would sell more by lowering their price, keeping their price the same or raising their price because they've never tested it. And so one of the first things that we'll always do is test price increases, because here's what's cool about price increases. Whatever additional income that generates on the top line also goes directly to the bottom line, because there is no increase in your cost when you increase the price. So that's the very first place we go. And then there's about, um, well, there's 63 profit enhancers that we look at. There's 196 sales enhancers and 50 valuation and you know amplifiers for the value of companies. So I just go through my list and systematically say, you know, from low hanging fruit to high, where is the easiest place that I can find money here and then, you know, go from there. And probably the second thing I would do is look at how can I get effectively an extra cycle out of my payables? So, can I get credit terms with my suppliers that will give me maybe everything you're paying COD or in advance, God forbid, that you're ordering right now? you know, if you can go and negotiate terms or find a different supplier, sometimes they'll even pay you to switch, right? Because they know that, it, that you're worth a lot to them in the long run if you're manufacturing or you're buying products or something from somebody. So, you know, that's the next place that we go. That'd be the first two easiest places.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And especially on that, that second point there with the supplier and the credit, you know, we actually did that, um, you know, obviously with inflation going up, our manufacturer did the same thing. And as we reached out, we're like, hey, well, we haven't shopped the market for a little bit. We went out and we found another supplier that was hungry. Now we didn't move all of our business overnight, but we said, this is our book of business that we're normally spending. And it was nice being able to bring all of that to the table and then say, well, if you do want this, here's what we would be interested in, right? And we, right. Got, we got net 60 days after something has been shipped into the warehouse. So what I have found, it's been a huge game changer for us in our cash flow, in our own business. We actually sold out of all of the product before we even paid for the product. That's and then awesome. at that point, we were able to you know, go invest in new product ideas. And that was just a huge shift. So I, I'm excited to hear you kind of share that same sentiment as like one of the first early steps that you can take to make a big impact in your business. 100%. Next, uh, one other question that I have here for you kind of related on that same topic. A lot of people we've heard a lot of uh, aggregators in the Amazon space recently. Um, know, things have cooled off a little bit. but I think more entrepreneurs with FBA businesses have now kind of thought about that exit in mind. And so, Roland, as you've consulted, advised you know a thousand plus businesses that have been sold and grown, what are some mm-hmm. quick actions and, you know, tips that you would share with our audience as ways to maximize their value if they're considering an exit in the next, you know, three to five years.
0: So the I, I'd say a couple of the most important things, like the very first one is for your business to be sellable, you need to not be an owner operator. Like to get the most for it, it it's a, it's a giant jump in the valuation of businesses that are not owner operator. What is an owner operator? If you can't live that, leave that business for a year and come back and have it be doing just fine and hopefully better than it was when you left, then you're an owner-operator. You're wearing too many of the hats. You're too important to the business. And what that means is that one of two things is going to happen. Either your potential buyer has to also be willing to be an owner-operator, or they have to go and find someone who will operate the business for them. And so you get paid significantly less on your exit of that kind of business for a couple of reasons. One is because there's a lot of work and risk to the buyer and risk has, and like the greater the risk, the lower the price. There's an inverse relationship between risk and price, right? Or valuation. And the second is that the universe of potential buyers of owner operators or people that are willing to find an operator is dramatically lower than the universe of professional buyers who buy professionally run businesses, so I'd say the very first thing I would do, and I actually just had this conversation this morning on a consult is that you gotta you you, you will get significantly more or you know if you move away from bad things, uh you will leave a lot of money on the table if you are an owner operator and don't professionalize the business that to me is you know one of the most important things. And I'd say the second most important thing is that many businesses are overly reliant on a single channel and don't have their own growth engines or predictable selling systems. And so what does that mean? Well, if you have an e-commerce business and you only sell on Amazon, then there's a giant risk to a buyer that you'll do something that Amazon doesn't like that Amazon will decide they no longer want to sell that or as happened to one of the businesses that we were in the middle of acquiring uh, when it happened, Amazon will say, hey, we do Amazon basics for that now, right? Yep. And now yep. you're competing with somebody that you can't really compete with. So you need to diversify your channels of sales. And um, and if you haven't done that and you're relying on one primary platform, that's, that's a very bad thing. And it, it goes down to um, uh, to ads, too. So, like if you're only getting Google shopping leads, then something can happen. They can change the algorithm. There's another what is the uh, something content, good content or healthy content quality that they just came out with? Yeah yep. Um, you know, like they 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 have no qualms at all about completely destroying your business accidentally while trying to create a better user experience for Googlers. So
1: we saw that with Facebook and the iOS update, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so like those, those two things um, and the corollary to the first of don't be just an owner operator would be when you do get people to help you run the business, the other thing that buyers really are looking for is bench strength. So they, they want to know at least that, you know, the top people in the business are cross-trained to be able to make the business function if something is going to happen to any one of them. So I, I think those are like, there's a whole lot of them, but those would be, you know, some of the bigger ones I'd be thinking about.
1: Yeah, I love that. What a what a great summary and great advice to anybody. A future guest is going to be Ryan Dice. And he, oh, nice. you know, he runs know the, him. the scalable companies, right? You both are partnered um, yep. in the scalable, um, you know, business. Do you want to just give a, a quick little pitch about, Scalable, what it is right now, and then we'll let Ryan do the the heavy lifting about that. But I think it's poignant based on that last conversation that we had of owner operator.
0: Sure. So you know what what we identified as a big need in many of the businesses that we acquired and that we that we run uh, is that they need to have the ability to operate in some repeatable, standardized way. And so we looked into a lot of operating systems. We looked at Gino Wickman's uh, EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, and Vern Harnish's, Scott the Gazelle's. I'm not sure what his operating system is called, like the Rockefeller Habits, Um, and, uh, and several others. And we just didn't find something that was more modern for what we needed for our businesses. And so Scalable came about as a result of us deciding that we wanted to be able to have a portfolio of companies that ran and reported in a similar way and that the operators could all speak a common language to each other. And so we created a a combination of software and, um, and procedures and standards that allowed us to all speak the same language, to get focused and to be much more modern than you have to have a mission statement. And then you know, good financials. It's like, well, okay, what does that mean? And, you know, how do I drill down on that? And how do I get buy in from all my people and that kind of stuff? And then what are the numbers that I want? And, you know, what, how, like a five year plan is a great idea, but how do I quarterly, you know, quarter by quarter look at leading indicators instead of lagging indicators to know how I'm going to win going forward instead of did I mess up, you know, in the past? And so all of that has, congealed into this operating system that we call uh, the scalable OS. And that's what scalable.co, that's what the scalable company does. I love it.
1: Well thank you so much, Roland. I'm gonna sum things up here. I think we have kind of like three actionable takeaways for our audience today. So I think first would be you, you know, determine if you have an acquisition target in mind, right? You mentioned the seven different categories. Identify which of those seven categories You really want to pursue. Where is it? Do you need more leads coming in? Do you need more profit margin, right? And and like Roland said, choose one and then dive into it, right? And go go start reaching out to your network, acquire a list, start building a funnel to go acquire some of those assets that can help you take it to your business to the next level. A second idea, if you're maybe not ready to go acquire uh, businesses, Roland already mentioned one of the quickest ways that. He would increase the value or profits in any business that he recently acquires. Go raise prices, number one. Start price testing at least. And number two, go see if there's some opportunity with your suppliers to negotiate better terms. And then I think finally, a third step, no matter where you're at in your business, I think this is good advice. Start trying to create those SOPs and almost kind of work yourself out of a job. You don't want to be the one running the show the whole time. Because as Roland said, your value is going to increase as a business, your pool of of buyers is going to increase as well. So I think those are some easy three takeaways for any of our listeners. Roland, before we sign off, I know I asked you this earlier, but what is one book that you would recommend?
0: Boy, there's so many. Um, I think one of the books that I got the most out of over the last five years or so um, was recommended uh, by Richard Branson, and it's called Black Box Thinking. And um, it really, the black it, it comes from the black box that is found when airplanes crash that track the, the things that tell the causes and how that opens systems that the airlines all share that data with each other and that, that the thinking of how they do that really isn't allowed airline safety to increase to be one of the you know, one of the most safe means of transportation, even though we're sitting in this non flyable, it seems, you know, hunk of tons of metal in the air. Um, so the the methodology and the stories and the insights that were in that book, I I think had a, a pretty significant impact on my thinking. And I like books that I read and I I close it and I'm mad at myself for not having thought of all that stuff before. So that's one of those books that did that for me. I
1: love it. I'm going to have to go dive
0: into that book. And
1: you've got me excited there. Uh, last thing, Roland, where should people reach out to you if they'd like to learn more about what you're doing, learn more about Epic, even your books, what you got going on?
0: Sure. So I do a challenge about every month that is a free challenge now. And it's at getepicchallenge.com, where I talk about how to acquire businesses with little or no money out of pocket. Um, you mentioned epicnetwork.com, which is where a lot of the the products and services around that lay. Um, I'm on. I have a podcast, uh, just like you do here. Um, it's called Business Lunch, where I talk to smart people like you about what they're doing. And um, and then I'm everywhere on social, from TikTok and YouTube to Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn at whatever those things are. Forward slash Roland Frazier. Awesome.
1: I love it. Well, thank you for your time today, Roland. It was a pleasure having you on.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.